Smithy, good news, mate. Christmas is around the corner. And guess what? We're finally loaded up. We got our shit together. Theswellians.com. Theswellians, with an S, dot com. Get onto it right now. Get your shit, your merch, before Chrissy fucking buffs some cunt out who loves the fucking show. That's right, Vaughn. Every dollar is a vote, and every dollar spent in the Swellian merch store is a vote for more rambling degeneracy. So support your independent deadbeats and spend some money in the Swellian merch store now. Ben Brown, Aussie Wright, Paul McNeil, just some of the artists we got in there at the moment. New merch drops every couple of months. It's going to be on Smith. Here we go at last. Mad. This instalment of The Greatest Stories Never Told features a profile on the great Jamie O'Brien, one of the all-time most iconic heavy water specialists, tube pigs, and he's got plenty in the progressive hi-fi arsenal as well. A few quick reflections on J.O.B. before we get into the story uh, from my time with him. Um, you know, Like most celebrities or professional sports people, there is a large gap between his media persona and who he really is. Um, you know, J.O.B. is very much someone for the cameras and someone completely different when they're off. Uh, from afar, he might come across as brash, privileged, arrogant, or obnoxious. And in the context of surfing, maybe he is. Uh, but on land, when he's not competing for waves of the world's best, it all looks very different. Raised by a single dad after his mum abandoned the family as a six-year-old, he grew up copping a thousand hidings from Polynesian Hawaiians. And uh, that's a kind of a side note to the story, because it's often overlooked how tough white kids can do it in Hawaii. Through no fault of their own, they often end up coming to symbolise America, colonisation, privilege, perpetrator in the eyes of many native Hawaiians, and they get picked on, beaten and bullied throughout their childhood and adolescence because of it. So uh, this was definitely the case with J.O.B. and his offsider Jason Frederico, whose profile we'll hear in a future episode of The Greatest Stories Never Told. The other strange fact about J.O.B. is that he's got a big helping of Bogan Aussie in him. Uh, His dad, Mick O'Brien, is from fucking Frankston, which as we know from fellow Frankston product and former ASP head judge Richie Porter, it's a pretty tough and rough joint. Uh, Mick's story is a whole yarn in itself, a classic Aussie journeyman. He got out of Frankston Young, chased waves to Hawaii, and somehow landed himself a job as a lifeguard there. Uh, first on the South Shore and then on the North Shore. Uh, he lives right next to the Vulcan Pipe House overlooking Pipe. His house is chock-a-block full of trinkets from Indo, the Pacific, and elsewhere. Maybe a little on the hoarderish side, but uh, classic nonetheless. And, um, yeah, this, I don't know, this is just a wild insight, in my opinion. I, I was I was tripped out anyway, hanging in Jamie's world for a, a couple of days. It was vastly different to what I expected, and I hope you guys get just as much of a kick out of it as I did. Who is the real J-O-B? The story was first published in the Surfers Journal in 2016 and recorded during the Hawaiian winter of 2014-2015. Abandoned by his mother at six, beaten and bloodied in brawls for respect at the beach and in the streets, an adolescent surrounded by drugs and violence, Jamie O'Brien might be at the top of the heap at Pipeline, 
but it hasn't come easy. It's that moment just before the sun pokes its head over the mountain's inland of pipeline and already the place is coming to life. It's too dark to tell the exact size of the swell, but with each explosion of white as the wave womps the reef and blows its guts out in the channel, you know it's big. 20 brave souls are already out there doing the dance, dodging wash-throughs and dropping in under moonlight. Burning marijuana wafts across the pre-dawn stillness. The Dahui backdoor shootout is set to begin in a few hours' time, and the boys are already firing up. Jamie O'Brien is standing at the end of the footpath between the two Volcom houses, watching the waves. He's wearing army-coloured scent blocker tracksuit pants, the same ones he uses to hunt wild boar in the mountains behind pipe, a grey hooded jumper, and holds a glass of juice in his hand as he chats with an older Polynesian man. I introduce myself and we watch as the sun rises and the picture fills in. It's 8 to 10 foot and flawless. The best day of the season so far. Jamie wants to get a couple before the backdoor shootout begins, so we head back to his house, which shares a fence with the original Vulcan Pipe House, to get ready. His courtyard is a hive of activity. Wax is being scratched across boards by surfers making adrenalised, nervous chit-chat about the conditions. I recognised several of the faces from Jamie's hit web series, Who is J-O-B, which is currently sitting on several million plays on the internet. The cameras are not rolling, however, as the first drama of the morning unfolds. Poopies, a character from the series and a Californian-based semi-professional surfer, has been accused of stealing someone's food out of the fridge. Jamie is forced to reprimand him. Bruh, you can't go one week without stealing someone's food. It's disrespectful. Don't steal, he scolds. As we make our way to the beach, a bomb cannons across the reef and explodes in the channel. Jamie kicks sand in the air and begins to whoop. I follow him out and watch as he paddles straight past the groms on the shoulder, greets Australians Dean Morrison and Ryan Hipwood, and makes a beeline for the deepest position in the lineup, settling just inside his protege, John John Florence. Only two men sit deeper the Japanese cult hero and perpetual fall guy, Takuya Wakita and Jason J. Fred Frederico, Jamie's former best friend, methamphetamine addict in recovery, and ex-convict. There is no better cautionary tale for the fate that could have befallen Jamie than what happened to his oldest friend, J. Fred. They were thick as thieves as kids, busting down the door at Pipeline together as teenagers and running right across the North Shore when it went flat. Brah, we did it all, says Jamie. Just stupid shit. Breaking into cars, breaking into their high school, playing car bowling with coconuts they'd stockpiled near the Sunset Bridge. They'd roll them into oncoming vehicles. Jay Fred, who was a few years older than Jamie, blazed a trail through the pro-surfing ranks, earning a contract with Hurley as a teenager and a reputation as one of the hardest-charging surfers on the planet. The moment I knew I was getting somewhere was when Slater was like, Frederico, sick waves, huh? Recalls J. Fred. Ten minutes goes by and I'm like, how does Kelly Slater know my name? Then I started getting a bit cocky and I really turned it up a bit. I'd go on anything and everything, he says. When the World Tour rolled into town each winter, J. Fred would disappear into its infamous party scene. 
Soon he was dealing drugs to the pros and not long after that getting high on his own supply. I went off the deep end, he says. J. Fred is an imposing figure. Barrel-chested, tipping the scales around 100 kilograms and the product of a violent broken home, he has the volatility to match. Poopies tells the story of the night J. Fred slapped Jamie in the face at a party in front of a cop. The officer tried to seize him from behind, but J. Fred easily broke the hold and turned to pummel the man. The cop tasered him in the chest, but J. Fred simply ripped out the plugs and took off running. He was tasered again in the back as he fled. Again, it had no effect. He was apprehended 10 minutes later after a chase. Jamie never had a problem with drugs. His mother was an alcoholic who abandoned him at six, while his sister ended up in an LSD-induced psychosis when Jamie was 11. His first drop of alcohol was the night he won his first Pipe Masters, aged 21, and it didn't end well. Every time he touches alcohol, his inner Aussie comes out, says J. Fred, referring to the sloppy mess Jamie deteriorates into when he drinks. When J. Fred ended up addicted to meth, Jamie tried to help, but the drugs holding him was too much, and he was forced to cut ties. It was one of the toughest things he's ever had to do. This time last year, I didn't want him hanging around my house, he says. It was hard, him being one of my best friends. You're like, I can't believe this guy's a chronic, smoking ice. It was baffling that it actually happened. And to hear he's in jail and going back for another three or four months, it was hard as a friend, he says. Fred's back on the straight and narrow today. He looks at his watch to check the date before telling me he's 131 days sober. Jamie and him are once again thick as thieves while his return to form at Pipeline has surprised everyone. To see him stoked and not spending his money on drugs, buying boards and being up at 4.30am amped out of his mind just to go surf, it's inspiring, says Jamie. When a bomb bends around Second Reef and steams towards Pipe, the crowd scatters like mice. Jamie strokes into position and lets out a shrill cry to clear the way. Golden light splits the pine trees overlooking Pipe and the giant wave goes a surreal translucent green as it stands up on First Reef. Jamie is in the slot. It's taken a lot to earn this kind of authority out here. Bullied, beaten, two broken legs, fights on the beach, fractured relationships with the world's best, and that's just some of it. There is only a couple of people on the planet who can trump Jamie's position in the pecking order, and as he prepares to drop in, one of them appears on his inside shoulder. Jay Fred. He whistles Jamie off. Jamie grimaces and pulls back as Jay Fred disappears over the ledge on his tippy toes, finding his feet at the bottom. I watch his thick set frame rocket through the green wormhole before emerging with a cannon of spit to a chorus of hoots and whistles. Back at the house, they're filming for Jamie's hit web series, Who is J.O.B.? Part jackass, part evil Knievel, and part reality TV show, the several million plays it's racked up provides quantifiable data that Jamie is the biggest thing in surfing right now. As I'm quickly finding out, however, the wackiness of the TV show is no match for the real world of Jamie O'Brien. While the crew is shooting interviews upstairs, Jamie gives J. Fred the job of keeping the peace downstairs, a job he proudly accepts, despite the fact it was he who I watched stub out a cigarette on Poopy's back moments ago. Some of Jamie's local friends have arrived. 
One, a smaller Polynesian man has a bloody scalp and the lingering effects of a concussion after being smashed over the head with a bottle in a brawl at Sunset Point last night. I got lit up, bruh. I wasn't even saying nothing. Then pop, bottle in the head. I woke up in my bed. Don't know how I got there. Wrong place, wrong time, he says. What? A free fight, chimes in Jfred. Another of Jamie's friends is one of the biggest people I've ever seen. He's a white man with the word white tattooed across one knuckle as well as the Hawaiian island chain on his foot. He also has a scar that runs from ear to ear across the back of his head. Jamie doesn't like to talk about it much, but fighting was a way of life growing up here for the non-native Hawaiians. Jay Fred, who is an authority on such matters, says Jamie could hold his hands up with the best of them. We stood up for ourselves a lot, recalls Jay Fred. The Hawaiians would trip out on us. We'd put up a good fight for being white, he says. The endless taunts and punch-ups in the schoolyard and the street proved an ideal preparation for what was to come next. Jamie was eight when he first paddled out at Pipe. He was 11 the first time he got sent in and 14 the next time. The second time, the man came to his house looking for him. Guy's coming over to fight me. I was 14, bruh, he says. His journey up the food chain at Pipe was during a time when localism on the North Shore was at its zenith. You paddled out and you were tripping like, oh my God, he's out here? These were the guys that put localism on the map, he says, referencing the likes of Johnny Boy Gomes, Marvin Foster, Sonny Garcia and several others. As a 20-year-old, his worst fears were realised when he accidentally paddled for one of Johnny Boy's waves at Pipe and pushed some foam down on him. He told me, it's a small island, I'll see you around, recalls Jamie. Bruh, I was paranoid for a year. There were also times when Jamie played enforcer. You try to not let it get to that, a fight, he means. But I mean, when someone tells you to beat it, Howley, go home, and I'm like, bruh, I'm home. I'm not going anywhere. You told the wrong guy to go home, he says. Beatings and bullying, countless closeouts, countless stitches and contusions, two broken legs and several years spent surfing with his head wrapped in plastic due to an inner ear ailment is the price he's paid for the kind of success he's had at arguably the best and most fiercely contested wave on the planet. My dad says to me, never in a fucking million years would I think you would get the waves out pipeline you do, little white boy, says Jamie, adding, I don't know how it happened either. There was nothing else Jamie was going to be. He was raised by the ocean on the north shore of Oahu, as well as the angels in red and yellow lifeguard uniforms that watch over it. His dad Mick was one of them. Mick arrived from Australia to the north shore in the winter of 1976, the same year that Rabbit Bartholomew, Peter Townend and Ian Cairns kicked off the busting down the door saga. They all went home, Rabbit and the boys, and guess who's living up there on Sunset Point next to everybody? Aussie Mick O'Brien, the only Aussie within two and a half thousand miles. Thanks a lot boys, you fucking, he laughs. But Mick never had any trouble. He was quiet and kept to himself. For the first 20 years of his life he'd lived in Victoria, Australia where he met Jamie's mother as a 13-year-old on a family vacation to Phillip Island. Later, Mick travelled to Santa Cruz, California, in in pursuit of a different girl, only to find her strung out on heroin. He hung out, surfed a while, before convincing his parents to lend him some money to get to Hawaii. 
He got a job as a waiter at the Turtle Bay Resort, serving food to Hollywood A-listers like Julie Andrews and Peter Sellers before moving in with a young Californian lifeguard and surfer on his way up by the name of Derek Dorner. Dornan would become a founding member of the toe surfing movement and remains one of the most respected watermen of all time. He's also Jamie's godfather and has cast a deciding influence over his life and career. It was Derek who encouraged Mick to try out for the lifeguards. After getting the job, he was given three months training over the summer at the mostly flat Waikiki before relocating to Station 27 on the North Shore, a.k.a. Rock Piles the evil rock-pocked slab made famous by Mason Ho, among others, and one of the most dangerous patches of ocean in the world. I worked every weekend, and I swear every weekend it was 20 foot that winter, recalls Mick, and my partner was at Waimea with the boys partying. I worked rock piles by myself the whole winter. It was heavy, brah, he says. Mick had stayed in contact with Jamie's mum and eventually flew her out to Hawaii, but their relationship was tumultuous at best. Jamie talks about Mick as though he was both mum and dad. His mum was a heavy drinker, and as hard as Mick tried to keep it together, there were some things he couldn't tolerate. I came home one day, it was my birthday, we'd been partying, and this guy we had staying with us, he's sitting in my chair like he owns the place. He owes money, he'd been fucking my wife, and my kids told me that, recalls Mick. For the sake of the children, Mick tried to keep the relationship together, but she left unannounced one day when Jamie was six. The whole family travelled to a caravan park to convince her to come back, but it was useless. I was a basket case for a while after that. My kids were a basket case, but I challenged myself and I made it work, says Mick. Jamie and his mother have never quite put things back together. They remain largely estranged, although his sister recently moved to Fresno, California to be closer to her. The connection is there, but it's real vague. It's like, I love her, but my dad's my mum pretty much. It's hard, you know, because I didn't leave, she left. And, I, and I'd imagine it'd be pretty hard to leave your kids, he says. As hard as it was, Jamie had a tight-knit North Shore surfing community accustomed to raising broken, abandoned kids. He also had the ocean, which would wash away the pain the moment he set foot in it. It was my happy place, a place where I could express myself, he says. As a teenager, he dominated state championships in every division from kneeboarding to bodyboarding, paddleboarding, Ironman, and shortboarding. Only longboarding did he come second. Mick pushed him hard, demanding complete dedication to every discipline. Too hard, it would prove. I would get yelled at every heat I lost. After a while, I was like, you know what, fuck you, recalls Jamie. Though adds, it kind of made a cool respect level for my dad, and after that, I just surfed and had fun, he says. Jamie didn't need extra motivation. He was already on his way to becoming one of the greats. As a 21-year-old trialist in 2004, he became one of the youngest surfers in history to win the Pipe Masters. His two profile films, Freak Show and Freak Side, broke new ground in heavy water and hi-fi performance surfing. He famously burned the ASP rulebook on camera and continues to blow minds with his daring approach to the world's deadliest wave, Pipeline. But it's this latest chapter of his career that's proved the most spellbinding. Barely a week goes by when he isn't dropping jaws with an act of bravado or sheer skill in the face of deadly consequences, all of it captured by the lens of who is J-O-B. In the two months I spent on the North Shore in the winter of 2014-2015, I saw it all. I watched him ride a five-foot hot pink foam and plastic 
softboard off second reef at pipe into a 10-footer. I watched him attempt to swap boards from a foam board to a short board mid-face on a 10-footer that might have won him the wave of the winter. He would eventually claim that 25k prize purse for Surfline's wave of the winner anyway, with what many claimed was the deepest barrel ever ridden at pipe. For pure lunacy, however, it was hard to go past his invitational contest at 10-foot Kaiki shore break. On a day when Waimea was 15-foot and outside logs was 20-plus, Jamie and several local chargers, including Coa Rothman, Kalani Chapman, and Jason Federico, rode soft tops down triple-stepping mutant shore break slabs reminiscent of Clark Little's era-defining effort at Waimea way back when. None other than Jason Federico took out the event, promptly donating his board to a local underprivileged family and grimacing through the awards ceremony as he was doused with champagne by girls in neon bikinis. The girl was like, why don't you drink, recalled J. Fred afterwards. I'm like, because I got devil horns under this halo. When it went flat, Jamie and his friends got together to dig out the Waimea Lagoon channel and create a standstill wave for local groms. After hours of digging, there wasn't enough water in the, in the lagoon to make it happen, so Jamie just shrugged his shoulders and walked home. He also had a kid he'd met on Instagram from the American East Coast staying with him for a large chunk of the winter. He just wakes up every day and he's like, how can I have fun, smiles Mick from the timber decking of his house as we watch his son's heat in the Dahui backdoor shootout. Mick lives two doors down from Jamie, next to the Volcom house, in a ramshackle 70s style shack filled with Balinese wood carvings and all manner of surfing and fishing paraphernalia. In a nod to the North Shore's heady days of yore, Mick's talking parrot delivers this classic learned from Jamie and his sister way back when. Look out, it's Kaibog, it says, referencing the feared Kawaiian enforcer, pipe legend and world champion jiu-jitsu wrestler Kai Garcia. Mick's veranda is right on the beach at Backdoor, giving us the best view in the house as his son puts on an absolute masterclass. Here he goes, says Mick, motioning out to sea as Jamie drops in, impossibly late, and grab rail pumps through a thundering pipeline chamber. He emerges after the spit, GoPro in his mouth to the shock and applause of a packed beach. With the scores yet to be read out, Mick laughs and runs through an all-too-familiar scenario. Should have been a 10, but they'll scale him back because it's Jamie. What are you going to do, he laughs. The end. <laughs>